everyone, Shannon Tipton here, and welcome to this week's Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where all the cool L&D peeps hang out. While you're here, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future chats. Today, the cool kids are tackling building a culture of collaboration. Now, making use of collaboration tools in meetings or brainstorming sessions is one thing, but if there isn't a culture around sharing and contributing in general, then collaboration efforts across the organization will suffer. So the question on the table today is, how can we help remove collaboration barriers and help support and nurture overall collaboration efforts? So without further ado, let's get to it. So happy Friday, everybody. And today we are talking about effective collaboration, building a culture of collaboration. That's really the big question on the table today. And I'm looking forward to having this conversation. The more that I looked into it, because I think we all understand a culture of learning, an organizational culture, but there really is a culture around people contributing. And how do we build that culture? So I wanted to get away from some of our conversations about tools, because tools, I think, is the easy solution. It's easy to throw a Mentimeter or a Miro at people, but to really encourage robust collaboration, I think, requires something else. So I really wanted to open up this topic with everybody today and see what your thoughts were. So let's do that. Let's open it up. What are your thoughts about building the difference here between having collaborative types of meetings versus having a collaborative culture within the workplace? In your mind, how do those two things work together? Do they balance each other out? Do you have those two things in your workplace? What are your thoughts? Way back in the day, I'm an accountant for those who don't know, we had to build costing systems. So my collaboration was I would go down, and these are very large manufacturing companies, no costing, very little inventory control. So I would sit down with the people on the line and say, okay, I'm responsible to build a cost for this product. You people are the, are the ones who know how it's done. And I would spend days with these people, ladies and men on production lines, talking about how important their job is in order so the company can know what something costs so we can sell it properly. And I did this with all the factory workers. I would just go and sit on the line and work with them and hand them tools and do whatever so they would feel comfortable with me and not some guy from the office, you know? Right. And I think that's a really good point where you talk about building relationships is an important part of building a culture that encourages not just sharing, but real exchange of information. Yeah, if they had a problem or or a new idea, they'd phone me up in the office and they'd sit on the phone. And that's the relationship we had. They, I think anytime you want, just give me a call. Right. And they do that. So it was very, very good relationship with the folks in the factory. Without them, we couldn't, I wouldn't have a job anyway, so. (laughs) Right. What about the rest of you? What are your experiences here? For me, it's getting out in the field with our team members and actually 
experiencing what they experience. You see stuff and it looks really good on paper, but until you actually are sitting out there and really going through the motions and seeing what they're working with, what they're dealing with, what their day looks like, it's totally different. Right. One of the things that clearly discussed here was, are we building relationships? Are we encouraging a culture of sharing, which is really important? I think everybody has to know within the entire business that everybody's equal. Everybody contributes to the end. So you get your paycheck on Friday and you pay your rent by your car and blah, blah. But I tried to build an atmosphere of pride in what everybody did. For their section of what they did, I showed them exactly how it fit into the big picture when we made a sale and we did it and, and we made a profit. It's because of them. And they actually the head profit share. So that's great because it's got to start departmentally. It's got to start within your own department and then it kind of grows out. And I think what you're talking about here, Brian, is bringing in an element of psychological safety into collaborative spaces. That is incredibly important. And how can we continue to encourage organizations or your own personal organizations to do that and who is doing that. So I'd like to hear from someone who is really encouraging that this is a safe place to collaborate and everybody knows that it's a safe place to bring up your thoughts and ideas and know you're not too new to the organization to share. And yes, your voice has value. How are you going about doing that? Don? Yeah, we do that a lot. And the way that we do that is our end user, our end customer are girls. So whether we're working on our national team or with our affiliates who are distributed across the U.S. and Canada, we always center the girls. So whatever the point or the issue or the challenge or the idea that we have that we're bringing forward, as long as we relate it to the impact that it has on the girls, whether that's a positive or a negative impact, it centers the other people off of like it being my idea. It removes all that antagonism or an us versus them, or you're putting down my idea or, you know, that's not the way we've always done it. It allows all of us to be focusing in the same place on the same person and the same people. And it removes a lot of that kind of office politics or unhealthy relationship issues that may be going on within teams. Where we are stuck is that when we are in meetings and we are collaborating, they are beautiful. I just had one of those this week. It's one of the best I have ever had. But I was so frustrated going into it because there were three teams that were having conversations and making decisions and our team wasn't included and it directly impacted our work and the work that we were asking our affiliates to do. We're missing like whatever that front end step is of who should be in the collaborative culture that you were talking about. That's where we're missing the mark. Once we're together, it's beautiful and fabulous, but the challenge is making sure that everybody that needs to be together is actually there. Spot on there, Don. And that is exactly where I wanted this conversation to head because we're all really good at hosting collaborative meetings I would hope, right? That's what we do. It is, it's then involving the organization that becomes problematic sometimes. How do we get 
everybody on board, not just a matter of including L&D in the conversations, that's always well and good, but really how do we help nurture? We're not responsible for culture building, but how do we nurture that to where whatever it is that we do spreads? You know, it's a joyous spread, sunshine spreading across the organization, rainbows and butterflies for everybody. So how how can we... How can we make that happen? So, Renee, I thought I saw your hand. Sounds like Woodstock to me. (laughs) (laughs) I try. So at our organization, we use a platform called Jive that's basically social media for companies. Jive, okay. And it's really great for this because everybody has an account. Everybody can come on and say their opinion and join our communities of practice. We do like best practice papers all the time where everybody gets a chance to contribute to those papers before they come up with the final best practice. Even after they publish the best practice, they will still edit that if things come up. I think we do that well. I think the problem is, is that people who are newer don't feel like they have a voice at the table the way people who have been here a while do feel that way. Right. And that's one of the barriers that was identified is people not feeling as though they had that voice to contribute. And Renee, what you're talking about in regards to that image that I sent over is all about transparency. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about transparency and knowledge sharing. And those are bedrocks to having that sort of sharing culture where it's okay. How do we then, like you said, how do you bring in the people who feel as though they haven't earned the right to speak up yet? you know, within an organization, how are we handling that? There's also the problem of people who choose not to participate. Yes. Just because they don't go to the platform daily to see what's going on. And so they're leaving themselves out of the conversation. So that's an issue as well. Victoria? I keep going back to how crucial establishing the team is, making sure that you're all on the same page. I'm in an interesting situation here because with my organization, we just started a leadership development effort where we were trying to actually craft our vision for what it means to be a leader in our organization. And then how do we establish those expectations across the organization? So this is like the first phase of this project. And we brought in this consultant. So we're starting with our senior leadership team. And just even one of the basic questions that we were asking them this week when we met was, how do you all define yourselves, you know, you yourselves as, as this group? So it's a team of about 10 people. It was probably a 15-minute pause before somebody actually spoke up and could even identify what sort of team they thought that they were. Because they're like, are you a team? Are you a gang? Are you a mob? Are you, what are you? Somebody was just like, well, we're family. I wasn't picking up with a family vibe from everyone else. I'm not answering your question directly, but I think this has such a huge impact on collaboration that it's like, if you can't even get on the same page in terms of being a team, and having that shared purpose and goal and direction, how are we going to collaborate? That's what I'm being confronted with right now. So this conversation is really helpful for me to hear. Good. And I think that your point there is so valuable. If you don't have a North Star, then where are we going? I think you bring up an excellent point. If you don't know what kind of team you are, how can you even begin then to communicate, much less collaborate? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Great point there. Angela. I was just going to jump off of Renee's point about bringing those new team members that don't feel that they've earned that spot. One thing we've been doing at our 
company is we've actually been, the L&D team has been reaching out to new team members as they've been onboarding the first few weeks. So four days in, two weeks in, 30 days in. And part of our conversation is not only their experience, but also really encouraging them to bring up any ideas, tell us how their experience has been, and really just emphasizing that they have the freshest set of eyes coming into this organization and they are part of the change that we're trying to make. So really been helpful for us. And then another thing that we've done is we actually have a submit idea sheet on our internal SharePoint page that any team member can share with if they want to. And that's really been helping a lot of our newer team members feel like they can just bring it forward, even though they may be just a few weeks in. I am nodding emphatically. It's so important. I'll give you a personal example, and maybe this might resonate. Many moons ago, as I was sitting in a leadership meeting, actually, we're just prior to the leadership meeting, and people were brainstorming a certain issue that we were planning to discuss when we were in the meeting. And this one person brought up an idea, and the head guy said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And that person said nothing for the duration of the meeting. Absolutely nothing. And then they come back and they said, why don't people contribute? And so when I said, well, you said this, and that kind of stifles communication, they said, oh, but they understand who I am. They understand that that's just my personality. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, I see lots of nodding heads. I see Jason, he's like, yes. Okay, so then how do we communicate to the organization as a whole that that's not going to encourage collaboration and cooperation. And that's why I like what you were talking about there, Angela, about keeping a shared document, because then people, they'll write down their ideas where they might not necessarily say it because they're afraid of being called out like that. Anyone else using a technique similar to this, you know, to help lay the foundations for sharing information? Kind of what you were saying there, Shannon, about having that leader in there who kind of kills all the collaboration, all the contributions. One thing that I always try to do is not have them in those conversations. I'm going to meet with the team and then I'll meet with you separately to get your ideas because what I've always found is when they're in there, everybody will wait for the VP to talk and they'll just agree. Yeah, yeah, that's what we want to do. Yeah, that's what we do. But when you get down to it, that's really not where they want to go. So not having them. And I keep going back to your graphic of item number two, promote a place to safely contribute. And having those leaders in there does not create that. And every place I've been, every role I've been in, those leaders have stifled all collaboration. I try to create places where, yeah, they can talk freely, even if it's just having a one-on-one or just not inviting the leader to that. (laughs) It's, uh, I don't know if you've heard this before, that's the hippo syndrome, right? It's the hippo, the highest paid person's opinion syndrome. Everybody will agree with that person. Leaders need to be made aware that occurs. They don't admit it. They like to think that they're friends and they're buddies with everybody, but they might be, but they really are the president or the director or the CEO. And everybody thinks title first, friend second, And I'm with you, Jason, it does get in the way. So we can then build this culture of collaboration by bringing the leadership on board and saying, this is what we need from you. If you really want to move the needle, 
we have to take a hard look at what we do top down, bottom up. So what are some of your other thoughts about this? One thing that I try to do, even if it's just working on like a really simple PowerPoint or something, but anytime that I'm working with a group of people from the field, but one thing that I always try to do is have stuff built in that people can say no to and like try to get to that as quickly as possible so that they can say, no, we don't like that. And then remove it just so that they can see, oh, he was serious when he said that if we didn't like something, tell him and he'll take it out. I think being willing to remove something or alter something that that we created maybe sends more of a message of I'm taking you seriously than just adding suggestions does. Yes. Is that working? I think, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I believe well, so. Well, what kind of lessons are you getting from that? I'm really curious. I'm in a government job. I've been involved in you know, agency pilots before where they'll ask for our opinion. And I was in them as a, as a field staff and they'll ask for our opinions and we'll tell them like, this thing seems like a great idea on paper and it's utter garbage when it's in the field and they'll nod and they'll, oh yeah, yeah. And then that's exactly what will show up. Having had that experience, you know, I'll be working on some project idea with people that are in the field doing the program that I'm in. And I'll start off with like, no, seriously, if, if you think something is a bad idea, tell me and I will remove it. I think what I've seen that I'm hopefully remembering correctly and not just rose-colored glassing. After the first several times that I did that, after the first several times that they saw me, you know, removing some slides or changing something in a business process, after people saw me doing that a few times, I started to get more and more, no, take that out. Or, okay, this is a really good start, but change it to this and it'll work better. Started to get more and more of feedback even not just during meetings, but like the next week, you know, get an email or a, a Teams chat or something. Hey, I was thinking about, about this project and what about doing this thing? It's leading by example, isn't it? Yeah, hopefully. I believe that we really could do more when it comes to behavior modeling. Yeah. In other words, be the change you want to see. I think a lot of times we get frustrated as L&D people, you know, we want these things to occur and we hope that we're doing everything that we need to do. And then we don't see the change happening. So we get frustrated and maybe we stop or we move our attention to something else that might get more immediate results. Although something like this takes time. Yeah. Maybe our own impatience gets in our way of success when it comes yeah. to nurturing a culture. Thinking back on it, it took probably a good year in my current role of very actively saying, you know, negative feedback is is okay and there will be no repercussions. If something's a bad idea, tell me. I don't want to do it if it's not going to help. But it's probably a full year of saying that consistently and, you know, doing the, the modeling, like you said, the removing things before people started to kind of, oh, he really means it. Right. It also goes back to what Angela was talking about. We were talking about keeping a document, even if it's in Jive or wherever it is. So you keep this living, breathing document about whatever, about a project. And if somebody puts critical feedback within that document and your response is, thank you, you know, no ifs or buts or anything. It's just, thank you. I appreciate that feedback. Then people see then that it's okay. So it's just like what David was just talking about. Thank you for telling me. I'll take that action. And people see it in writing. 
and you say thank you, then they realize, oh, more of that is appreciated. The more of those sorts of actions that we take, then hopefully it spreads. Let's build on that. So what other actions can we take that people can say, oh, well, that's a great idea. I should do more of that. So when we think about behavior modeling, what other actions can we take then that shows collaboration and action? My neck hurts from nodding up and down and back and forth for saying, yes, I agree. And we've run into this for the last 25 years when we do emergency response training. Well, we've been on both sides of the fence. Do you have both the experienced and the inexperienced people in the same classroom? Do you have a separate classroom for the non-field employees who are more maybe office employees relation to the people who are in the field? We have combined the two together and we have done it separately over the years, back and forth. And so the last several years, we've really been trying to pinpoint this to the best. We find that by having both experienced and non-experienced people in the classroom, it benefits everybody. And you're trying to get people to convince them that they need to be participants for the non-experienced employees. So back to what we've been talking about saying, how do you get those employees? You know, we've been through the whole thing and Brian, you probably heard it a thousand times too, or everyone else, you know, check your title at the door. This is a zone where you are free to say what you want to say and not worry about a title or who's talking. And we've started to bridge that gap very well. And part of the way we did it was because of virtual training, we actually just did a video introduction or what we call a welcome video to the training program about six weeks ahead of time by one of our upper management employees. And he would come in and he would then tell them, this is what we're coming into, emergency response. This is what we expect. And we really expect we are putting both the field and on-field together. And the reason why we're doing it is because of this and so on. And he does a good definition or she will do a good definition of what we expect or uh, defining the training protocol. We also are getting better at facilitating and bringing people into the conversation who we see haven't talked at all. So we're starting to get better at bringing people into the fold and trying to get the young employees to realize how important it is to do that. But one thing we do is in the second pre-training presentation, we encourage all leadership to get their employees to let one of the non-field employees spend a day with a field employee. Let them go out in the car, let them drive around, let them go into the factory, let them go into whatever it is, go on a sales call, whatever they need to do to to let them go out and experience the field so they're not totally, you know, not understanding what's going on in their respective field position. We found that to be encouraging. Obviously, with COVID, it's very difficult because they're saying, well, we don't want our employees in the car with people. So, but it's starting to relax a little. And we did find out that that does help. We've done that off and on over the years. We did have the video to get participation involved. And the last but not least, what we also do is in those post-training surveys, we really, really emphasize that we need the positive, we need the negative every bit as much as the positive. And over the last few years, that was the encouraging statements was our non-field employees that how important it was for them to hear the experienced employees sharing their experiences, sharing their knowledge to the non-field. So that was our, as you were saying, our guiding light or our North Star. He was saying, you know, that's what we were trying to get people to say. So I loved that 
very valuable contribution. Thank you, Thomas, for, you know, writing stuff down. So that's excellent. What you're talking about here is understanding where other people are coming from. It's empathy. And having empathy across an organization is going to lead to more openness, which is going to lead to more collaboration and better communication. All of these things piggyback on each other. Therefore, I think the tactic that you're taking, even though it's taking a while, is entirely on the right track. And it it seems to be working for you. So, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? Is anybody else doing anything similar or any other actions that you think that you are taking or that the organization is taking that are building blocks towards this culture? Angela? We've been working on a lot of alignment between our teams, our maintenance team, our field office team, and our support team so that everybody's really on the same page, even though everybody thought they were on the same page before. Nobody was on the same page. I think everybody was actually reading different books, to be honest with you. But that's been really helpful on like the communication aspect of it and really just understanding where we all fit into the roles on supporting the organization and the team and each other. Mm -hmm. It's that North Star, isn't it? We're all pointed in the same direction. We're all going in the same direction. We're reading the same items. We're having those same discussions. So that way we make sure as we're going down this path, everyone is headed to Hawaii on the same plane. You don't have some person saying, I'm going to take a detour in Singapore before I get to Hawaii. You've got everybody going in the same direction. I think that's important. It's an important thing for us to try to I don't want to say manage because we don't manage it. It's just a matter of keeping our arms wrapped to nurture, you know, to give people that comfort. What other ideas? I actually have a question for the whole group because I think we, in our employee engagement survey this year, employee engagement was really way down. And I think that had a lot to do with COVID, right? And they kept pushing us to come back to the office and it's been just very difficult. Now they've announced that it's mandatory that we come back to the office in March. And I'm kind of wondering, my former boss is very concerned about the engagement, where we landed in the engagement survey. So I was wondering... Has a company said, okay, we really are going to increase engagement, but cross-functionally as a company, we're talking a lot of L&D here, like individual, but has there been successful programs where the company has said, yes, we're going to increase engagement, but how do you go about doing that? Like we're doing it kind of in this discussion in a more granular, like how does L&D do it? But then if we were tasked with doing an entire company, how would we approach that? I might be able to help a little bit. Okay. Companies done is we actually have several different committees. So we have what we call a fun committee. I mean, like literally they're kind of the ones that bring all the fun in, right? Like there's programs. It hits every one of the outbound organizations, cities that we're in. So we have somebody in each one of them. They will work with different donation drives if there's something going on. But then we have volunteer committees. So like if they're working like with volunteer items around the community, that's a really big standpoint for us. So they're always looking for, if you want to use your volunteer hours, our company actually 
gives every team member so many volunteer hours they can use on a local community charity or something. They're always kind of promoting that. So those are some of the engagement things that everybody's worked on. Maybe it's like building a house through Habitat Humanity. There's a Hope Blooms charity up here in our northern part of the region. So there's all these different opportunities for people to kind of come together and get get Mm. engaged. So yeah, we came back all into the office last February. So yeah, one thing I think is important, and I, I love that idea about committees. The last organization that I worked for, we used to have a steering committee and the steering committee was tasked with certain items depending on what was happening in the organization at that particular time. The people on the steering committee always rotated in and out. So it was always different people, different voices, different positions, you know, to kind of sense check. It's not just the top three people from HR. (laughs) (laughs) That leads me to the point, which is a lot of times they will put things like engagement on the desk of the HR person or on the desk of the L&D person, that's that's not our role. So when they say that it's your project, it's not your project. It's not even a project. It's a, okay, we want to ensure that the culture is behaving in such a way. That's everybody's responsibility. All you can do is try to guide that, but you need input from everyone, not just your voice. Otherwise, you get to that area where Thomas and Jason might have alluded to is that people see it as a silo. So once again, we're working in this silo and people are like, I don't, what are they doing up there in that corporate office? It's important, I think, to bring a variety of voices into it. Because here's the other thing that I would advise, Kelly, is engagement is on a lot of employee surveys. Has anyone defined what engagement means to your organization? What does that mean? What does it look like? Then you go back to the business and say, this is what we believe engagement is. Is this what you believe engagement is? Yeah, you're right. Then you start up. So Amy, I see your hand. I think to add on that, as far as, you know, looking at engagement at our company, when we say engagement in training, we really focus on how are employees engaging in their training and professional development? Um, are they initiating it themselves? You know, we're really trying to focus on that piece of engagement because, like you said, there are different pieces of engagement. So we see this as our responsibility. And then how can we drive that engagement? And so this year has been part of my goal to actually rebrand our LMS, which we just always call the LMS. And so part of it is really, let's give it actually a name, you know, and we're going to call it our CNB University, CNBU for short, because it's all about you and your development and your growth. And what do you want to see for that? So, so that's part of it. And we're also developing a training committee because as you know, this discussion started, we're talking about the collaboration across the company. And I want the company to see training is not just me in my department, which is actually just me right now. It is the company. 
And it is, what do you want? Where do you see the gaps? What do you need? Not even just what do you want? What do you need? I don't want to be guessing on that for, you know, the next year, two years, three years, and so on. Um, Obviously, like many of you, we are in a highly regulatory field. So that we can't change. We might change how it's delivered. So I want feedback on that as well. Also, the stuff that we aren't required to do. How can we really encourage people to get into that besides rebranding it and making it something that you really want to go to? And so those are some things, actually, we're already starting to work on it and and we're kicking it off. So really looking forward to that and pulling our employees into the whole process. I did see the chat comment. Yes, I currently am an employee of one or department of one. (laughs) Department of one. Let's hear it for departments of one, right? Yay. Victoria. Yeah. So just to touch a little bit on the employee engagement piece, um, I've got two things related to that. And one is our executive director, when he started at the organization about six years ago, he brought forth the concept of wanting us to be an irresistible organization. So if you're familiar with HR analyst Josh Burson. He partnered with Deloitte Consulting, and he has this irresistible organization model. Um, and it actually went through a recent refresh, but up until I think last summer, there were like these, what we call them, five pillars. And so it's meaningful, uh, supportive management, trust and leadership, flexible work environment, opportunity for growth, and I think like meaningful work. And then the most recent one that was just added was well-being. And so This is just sort of the the underpinning of our organizational culture, and it's something that we're always talking about. We want to be an irresistible organization, and how do we embody these various pillars? And then there's like five elements that are under each of those pillars. So anyway, I just wanted to say that that's sort of our philosophy that we're trying to live up, and sometimes we do a better job at it than others. Um, But then just in terms of the employee engagement survey and going back to that, we actually have a dedicated group that sort of has spun off from this irresistible organization that's called our IO Rangers. And it's comprised of people from every department within our organization. And so they are their own committee. They are the ones responsible for running the annual employee engagement survey. And they have a direct line to our executive director. So when people have concerns or things that they want to bring up, they can go to their team's dedicated representative and, you know, report anonymously, and then these things can get surfaced up and addressed accordingly. So just wanted to toss that out there. Is that something that we do? Yeah. Thank you for that. I I made a note. I'm going to look that up. I haven't seen that from Josh Burson yet. And he does a lot of good work in this area, and I think it's worth checking out. So Kelly, I don't know if any of that was helpful was very, very helpful. Thank you, Victoria, so much for specific recommendations. I'm definitely going to go to Amazon and buy the book and go to the website and do some reading um, because this is a concern at our organization and we need to learn to overcome. Like, And I think it's a changing model. Like we, a lot of people went hybrid and working from home and the company itself didn't recognize that we are all working differently now and has never accepted it. It was always come back to work, come back to work, come back to work. Meanwhile, my last department is now 75% remote people because they literally couldn't, I live in the Bay Area, they couldn't find people. They had to hire remote. When we think about culture, it's really important to understand not only the culture of collaboration, but what's your organizational culture like, which is what Kelly was alluding to. If your organizational culture is not set on a firm foundation, then building 
from that is going to be near to impossible. You, know, you can put lipstick on a pig, you know that saying, right? And that's essentially what we would be doing. If your people aren't used to working together and they don't like working together, then that's a cultural thing that you're going to have to address first before you can solve the problem of coming together. Those two things are intrinsically linked. That's something worth thinking about. But any other additional ideas or thoughts about building the culture of collaboration? We have uh, several people within our organization that are really good at this, and there's a lot of us who really need to be following their example and do more as they intentionally call out the effective collaborations that they've had. Oh, so like they'll go in our right. Slack channel and we have an appreciation channel within it and they'll call out specific people that they had a really good collaboration experience with. I like that. So sharing. Celebrating the, the things we did really well. Yep. I think that's a great idea the more we can do of that to make the organization aware that these things are happening. Because a lot of times, not only are we working in silos, but they are working in silos. So reaching across departments, bringing people into the conversations. And I think little things, when you talk about the fund committee, part of that is, are you having lunch with someone different? Are you having coffee with someone different? Are you in your clique at work? Are you breaking out of that? Because then we get shared conversations. And once we're comfortable with shared conversations, then maybe collaboration is the next logical step. So even when we're working in this virtual space, call up somebody that you wouldn't normally and say, hey, let's have lunch together over Zoom or let's have coffee together over Zoom. You are expanding your knowledge, you're expanding your understanding of what's happening within the organization. That might be something worth investigating. Any other ideas? One of the things we kind of did this year, some of the people I deal with are non-trainers. They are management employees. And again, they're not from the educational side or from the training side. And they're kind of getting put into this. And of course, just like every other company around the country nowadays, they give them additional titles, but they don't take any of the other work away. So they're still overloaded with what they normally had. Now, on top of that, they think, well, training's no big deal. Just, you know, all you have to do is put together a few PowerPoints and that's training. So it's taken me a few years to kind of soften and get these people back on board with what really is important. One of the things I got them finally to understand was a focus group. And then early on, I mean, we got them last year to do it, but it was towards the end of the putting the presentation together, which we already had you know, three-fourths of the material created. And when they were making a suggestion, it would either wouldn't have worked or we couldn't take the time to reinvent the wheel at that point in time. So we've got the focus group working early on now. We're looking shooting for a September training date. What we did is we got together several of the experienced employees who have been in the training over the last several years and some of the newer stuff. We got them to um, sit down with us and we talked about surveys. We talked about what they liked and didn't like from last year in the emergency training, what they would like to see, what worked, what didn't work kind of concept. It was really good. It was really uh, a lot of information that uh, touches on those items that you forget, like the surveys I mentioned to you earlier, that we make sure in the training now this year, we said, by the way, this change in this year's training was because of the surveys we received last year. 
and many of you said that you would like to see us as a group instead of individuals. So that's why we're back together again this year. That really goes a long way for them saying, okay, you did listen to me or, you know, my survey does mean something. So we did get much better surveys this time around. In <laughs> fact, probably almost a little too much criticism. <laughs> Got to be too much <laughs> But anyway, back to the focus group really quick. We're going to meet again. We took away a lot of the information they talked about. And from there, we plan to put together a subject matter expert group to help us maybe coordinate some of the uh, material that we're going to use moving forward. So it had a couple of uh, advantages, a plus plus type of thing to it. So, but that focus group, like I said, I've been pushing for it for years and it looks good. That's great. I love a good focus group. There's nothing like throwing a rock in the middle of the pond and seeing what ripples out. I love me a good focus group. That idea really resonates with me. So thank you for sharing that. And I think sharing the data that went along with it is really important. Because like you said, Thomas, if people get a sense that, hey, they heard my voice, then I'm going to contribute again. That becomes something that when you talk about engagement, that really does build engagement. So thank you. So Don, yeah, the collaborative culture is who are you considering a subject matter expert? And anyone could be a subject matter expert, I suppose. And it's just a matter of what area of expertise are you looking for? Because everybody's got some sort of opinion or contribution that they could make. And a lot of times true subject matter experts get a little hairy about other people being in their territory. But I think that we can smooth that path too to say, you know, more voices are better than just one voice and still respecting their knowledge. I think that that goes a long way as well when we're talking about collaboration and building that culture of collaboration. And Don, look at what we call subject matter expert for us. It's because of the emergency response, we're looking for employees who have already been involved in an actual incident. They have actually been you know, where the fire department or police or other utilities have been there. We've had fires or explosions or any type of an emergency response, we consider those people who had that experience as a subject matter expert because, you know, it's still been there, done that. And those are the people we rely on to grab the non-field employees and say, hey, pull this guy aside or this girl aside and take them out for a ride along with you. So we're trying to get them to sit there and just sit in a car, or go around and do that. We find that to be just one day in the field amazing. Or like, I think Brian often talked about the the factory stuff. You put somebody down on the factory floor and walking around and you see what the difference of what a widget is and how it's being made. All of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. So especially with some of these younger engineers, you know, I don't mean to pick on them, but a lot of them have never had the field experience. And that's what you're saying. Say, hey, you know what? Pound a nail, drive a screw, you know, go see what it's like when they're digging ditches and stuff. So It really is that empathetic response. It really is. And I think a lot of collaboration really does boil down to if you understand me and if you understand what I do and if we understand each other, then we're more willing to come out and talk about and share our ideas and share our thoughts about the future, either the future of the project or the future of the organization or whatever that future may be, the future of a certain idea. But we're all more willing to have that discussion. So thank you for all of that. And thank you to everyone for joining me today. Any special plans for the weekend? Yeah, rest. (laughs) 
Doing my taxes. No, that's not a fun plan for the weekend. And thank you for reminding me that I've got to do my taxes. Oh, Victoria, you're moving. Moving. I hate moving, but hopefully it's someplace glorious. <laughs> right? She's like, well, maybe. <laughs> that looks like a lot of books for moving. I know. She's got a lot of books there. I'm in my new spot. I'm, I'm so oh, okay. oh, you're in the new spot. Okay. Yeah. I, I, it's five blocks. It's not far, but still moving household. <laughs> okay. Well, good. Yeah. And that does look like a lot of books for moving. All right. So how's it Thank you, everyone, for hanging with us for another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where we discussed building a culture of collaboration. The big takeaway today, one, it's hard to nurture a culture of collaboration if the overall organizational culture doesn't support the free flow of sharing of information and ideas. And two, in order to build a culture of collaboration, we as L&D professionals must first be empathic listeners and keen observers of business. As Franklin Covey says, seek first to understand. As always, the shared experiences were flowing and I hope you were able to take away at least one idea to apply to your organization. As a reminder, all the resources can be found in the show notes below. And while you're there, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future chats like the one coming up about how to build a relationship with your subject matter expert. To learn more about how you can join the live coffee chat conversations, go on over to learningrebels.com and sign on up. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now.